Hello everybody and welcome to First and Goal, the hardest hitting up and coming ACC and SEC football podcast on the internet today. It is Tuesday, March 15th in the year 2021 and today we're going to be discussing my favorite team of them all, I hold them near and dear, the South Carolina Gamecocks. It's going to be a good episode discussing the 2021 year interview. But before we jump in this thing, go ahead and buckle up that chin strap, throw in that mouthpiece. It's going to be a hard hitter. Let's get it. All right, all right. What's going on, everyone? We are back in the studio, ready to do the damn thing. I have missed y'all. As you can hear, I finally shook the pollen bug. The big bad allergy monster is gone. But today, we are here. We're going to discuss the South Carolina Gamecocks. And I am pumped. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host. The one, the only. Big Rob, how the hell you doing over there, brother? What's going on, everybody? Ready to talk a little Gamecock football? The exciting thing is, today is March 15th. You know what that means? It means that spring practice has started for most teams out there. Man, has it been a day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It just means we're one step closer to football season. Hell, it is football season, man. It's time to get shit together. Spring ball, baby. I'm telling you what, man. I've been like a kid in a candy store all day looking at stuff. Yes, sir, man. I absolutely love spring football. I love it almost as much as I love regular season because this here – to me, is my best opportunity to really get a good look at all these teams. And like last year, man, once you get in there, you can break down the spring ball footage. People, you can say whatever you want, but you can really get a good idea on who's going to be your top contenders this year. I mean, both last year, we made a lot of great predictions off of our spring ball. and It really surprised me, man. I was really impressed with our predictions. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you can just tell. How much a team wants it just by how they're going out there and competing. What, you know, what the body languages is. and You know, really just, you know, the the production of everybody. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, if there's a weakness in a team, it's very easy to find it. It's very easy to figure out who the strengths are. A lot of rookie players get out there and you can tell pretty quick who's going to be a big time playmaker, who's going to be the new man on campus, so to speak. I mean, it's just... Man, I love it. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, it's been a great, great day. We got to see Spencer Rattler's first throws as a South Carolina Gamecock. Jaheim Bell showing up just like he did in the the big game, the the bowl game last year, the Mayo Bowl. Man, he he did real good out there. Uh, Josh Van. I mean, everybody's coming out to show out, man. I just I wish that some of these rookies could, you know. All the rookies could be out there to be able to compete, but I understand that they have, you know, other sports that they're participating in in the summer and, you know, spring and whatnot. So, I mean, I get it, but it's still, you know, you still can't wait to get them out there. No, no doubt, man. I mean, we can't jump the gun too much because all it was a little bit of 7 on 7 and red zone drills, nothing in open field. But still, just to see the guys out there on the field, full pads out there, I mean, slinging the pigskin around. Spencer Rattler, I mean, throwing some rockets. Oh, but I'm telling you, he was he was throwing some rockets out there, putting a lot behind it. And 
Did you see the one throw that he did that actually came out of his hands like a duck, but in midair it just tightened back up and come into a spiral for six back in the back of the end zone for uh, Bell? Yeah, yeah, man, that's a, that's a hell of a throw. He's got a it's a crazy looking touch on. He's got a real. I don't know, it looks very different to me, the way he throws the ball. It almost looks like a sidearm, sort of, to me, really. It's, it's definitely odd, whatever it is, but, man, it, it puts one hell of a tight spin on that ball. you talk about some velocity? Oh, Gracious man. day. Oh, man, like it's coming out of a kick. Yes, sir, but uh, before we can look forward into the future, you know what we got to do. We got to talk about this past year and got to jump into that past. Let's jump into that pass. Look at this seven and six season the Gamecocks are coming off of. Yes, sir. They finished season seven and six, three and five, which was good enough for fifth place in the SEC East. Had a five and two record at home in Williams Bryce Stadium, so that's pretty damn respectable on itself, especially when you consider they came into this 2021 season with a first year head coach. And when I say first year, not his first year at South Carolina, but his first year as a head coach at any program ever besides being an interim head coach for, what, two games back in the day for Virginia Tech? For two games, and one of which he actually won the bowl game for his dad. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you got your first-time head coach, Shane Beamer, son of legendary Frank Beamer. Mm-hmm. I was really excited about the hire when he came in here. Brought along Marcus Satterfield. He was his first year as offensive coordinator in a Power 5 college. I mean, all these guys, it's really first-timers in the Power 5 level. Marcus Satterfield, your OC, Clayton White, D.C. Now, Pete Limbo, he's been around the block a few times. One of the best special teams coordinators in all of the nation. Oh, man, he's, he's considered a guru when it comes to special teams, man. Before his gig with South Carolina, and I think even a couple of years ago, he was actually giving uh, meetings to high school coaches about what they can do different with their special teams to improve. Oh, yeah, man. He is a guru. And then, I mean, you look at also the offensive line coach they brought along, Mr. Greg Atkins. Coming from Marshall. Yes, sir. Another smaller school, not really in the Power 5 level. I mean, brought him along. A lot of guys. And he brought along strength, strength and conditioning coach also, Luke Day, who, man, you talk about just a walking, talking, <laughs> inspiration guy. I mean, well, I'm telling you, Luke Day. Just watching some of the videos on YouTube of him in the locker room with the guys, just the stuff that he spouts off, man, makes me want to run through a brick wall. I'm telling you, man, that's a hell of a hype, man. That's that's the perfect man you want to get the best out of your guys in that weight room for sure. Well, I'm telling you, between uh, Luke Day and uh, oh, what was his name? Um, they call him Mo Hard on Twitter. I can't remember his name, but he came, he's uh, coming in as a special guy too for you know, the motivational speakers and, you know, to help the kids kind of, you know, come in from high school to college, and, you know, give them a head start. He has definitely been a, a, a big guy for them too. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, also you look on that staff, they brought back Connor Shaw in his off the field role last year and they had Byron Jarrett coming in there helping Luke Day with the strength and conditioning. Byron was a former player right there at South Carolina and he actually was coaching that same position at Tennessee with the volunteers that came back home. So, yeah, man. A lot of great things in this program, man. I mean, just in the coaching changes, there's a lot of question marks, but at the same time, it just felt really good. It really did. And, and like you were saying, man, just bringing in former players, it seems like in the last years of Muschamp, man, a lot of these former players 
they didn't really come around much. No, they really didn't. And I mean, nothing against Muschamp and those guys. I'm not going to knock them, but one of the big things we always talk about here is culture. Mm-hmm. And I loved how right off the rip, before the season ever even started, from the moment Shane Beamer set foot on campus, it's like day one, he jumped in there and grabbed his hammer and his nails, so to speak, and said, all right, we're going to rebuild the culture of this program from the ground up. And they took it as a major priority to, if you will, build the culture before they even tried to build the roster. Yeah, man, I mean... And they, they won when Beamer came in. He had a meeting with all the players, and he asked them what was the biggest thing on why they thought that they only won two games that season. And or with a resounding result, it came back as there was too much me and not enough we. Yeah, absolutely. And I just what I love so much about this program last year and to me. It's very similar to what Bob Stoops has done up there at Kentucky. Oh, yeah. Or Mark Stoops. Or Mark Stoops. Yeah, Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Bob yeah. Stoops is Oklahoma. Yeah. Always get them mixed up. <laughs> a Stoops a Stoop is what it is. <laughs> but it's very similar to what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky. And it's where instead of trying to get your players and then figure out who you are as a program and a culture, he said, no, we're going to set the culture. We're going to bring back the University of South Carolina blue blood, so to speak, through and through, find our own heart. And then we'll find the players who fit the program that we want. Oh, yeah. Instead of going out there and going after the biggest name here and there and all this other stuff, it was more of we're going to find the guys who we think will be the best for our program, who we can elevate to fit our program and put them in the best position to succeed. And not only will it help the players succeed, but also the program itself. Very similar to what we've seen at Wake Forest in recent years also. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, for the longest time, the brand of South Carolina, the former coaches said it was really hard to sell the Block C. Hell, Shane Beamer ain't had a problem. Not at all. That's what I was just getting ready to say. Beamer's coming and he said, screw that. We're South Carolina. You can win here. The education's phenomenal. Come be part of our team. Exactly. And instead of trying to sell the program to someone who may not want to be there, it's okay. If they don't want to be here, it is what it is. We'll give you an offer. If you don't want it, that's fine. We'll save our scholarship for someone who truly wants to be here. And I mean, you look at guys like this past year, Jaheen Bell. I never heard of him until this season. And where the hell did this young man come from? I mean, he was recruited as a three-star. Coming in, the man is playing like a five-star. He's uh, playing like a freaking animal. I mean, just incredible. It's just the way – and don't get me wrong. They finished the year seven and six, three and five. That doesn't sound like that great of a record. But when you look at 2019, <laughs> four wins. Four. 2020, two. Two wins. <laughs> and, I mean, even in the 2018 season, they won six games, but – Hell, they had an add-on game at the end of the season with Akron just to make them bowl eligible. And, I mean, 20, that 2018 season was not pretty at all. No. It was it was not good. Very terrible performance in the bowl game against Virginia where they went down, and I think that was the belt bowl. I've, I've tried my best to forget that game, but it's, <laughs> it's still in the head there. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, but 
nothing against Virginia. They had a hell of a team that year. South Carolina, I mean, they had, they had a good team on their own, but to lose like they did. And, of course, you know, that was the year that Debo decided that he was going to go on to the NFL, not play in the bowl game. So they were missing some key pieces. But still, man, I mean, you're South Carolina, you're playing in the SEC. Like I said, Virginia's got what had a hell of a team at the time. But, I mean, come on, man. Carolina's always had great athletes, man, but it's just getting the team together as one and to play for, as Luke Day keeps saying, take care of your brother. Yes, sir. Take care of your brother no matter what. I will play for my brother. I mean, this team here coming in 2021, they had a lot of special players in place and talent, but if you think about it, I mean, when Muschamp left, all the transfers that rolled out of town, all the decommits, in the um, recruiting trail, this recruiting class was phenomenal. For the 2021 season? Oh, for the 2020, yeah, 21, no, no. no. That, that class wasn't phenomenal. No. no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, no knock on the young men, but it was a very, very light recruiting class because Beamer didn't get there. He didn't have a whole lot of time to do much recruiting and they weren't able to get a lot of stuff there, but he came in the door and said, hey, all we have on this roster is all we're going to need to win with. We can win with what we have here. Right. We just got to get these kids buying in. And, I mean, they did that. And, I mean, Bo, they played phenomenal yes, for, what, for what they came from. And I mean, yeah, you had some blowout losses to Georgia and Texas a and all, but, hell, even in the Georgia game. That game started off, and even though it was it was a blowout, it was a beatdown, it didn't really feel like it. I mean, it felt like a competitive football game, so to speak. Every single game that Carolina played, look at the fourth quarter stats, man. They never gave up. South Carolina, a few years ago, you know, once once they were blew out the water, they, they quit playing, man. I mean, it was just – it was a train wreck once the game was out of reach. It seemed like in year, recent years, once it was more than a two-possession game, that was, that was all she wrote. Yeah, everybody gave up. Defense, everything gave up. But, I mean, you just look at some of the adversity this team faced this past year. I mean, hell, looking right here. They started four different quarterbacks <laughs> this year. What Power 5 program do you know that started four different quarterbacks and won seven games, including a bowl game, over a very good team. Absolutely, man. I mean, hell, look at springtime last year. Luke Doty coming out. He's going to be the starter. What happens? Preseason gets here. He gets his foot stepped on. He's out. In comes Zed Nolan. He was a grad assistant that had one more year of eligibility. Yeah. He wasn't even a, he wasn't a player. He did no. not come here. He was on the payroll. This wasn't NIL. He was getting a paycheck. <laughs> this guy was legit working as a grad assistant, trying to get his foot in the door to be a college football coach. He was in putting in the plays for Marcus Satterfield, getting everything ready. But Doty goes down, and at that point, you're looking around, you're saying, "Oh hell." <laughs> We're in danger. Yeah, I mean, you look around, you got a true freshman there, Colton Gothier, who looked very respectable in his own right, but at the same time, do you really want to put a true freshman out there and just throw him to the wolves? I mean, that's 
that happened in 2019 and 2020, and it did not fare well. <laughs> That's a good way to destroy a young man's confidence. Absolutely. So you, you don't want to throw him out here. You got Jason Brown coming from a Division three college. Mm-hmm. So and, and he looked really good in spring ball last year, but he was overweight and really couldn't run around like he was used to. So I mean, what 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 else is there? He wasn't so much overweight, but what they were concerned about was his weight to be an SEC quarterback and the speed of the game and all that. And they told me he had to trim down. He had to become mobile, and that was not Jason Brown's game. He's never been a mobile quarterback. He was always a pro-style pocket passer. Mm-hmm. He looked good in the spring game. But even in spring game, he had a couple throws that looked beautiful, but he had a couple also that was like, ah, yeah, I don't know about this. Yeah. And, I mean, the cupboard was bare in the quarterback room. Man, we're going to go back to that spring game. Once we get done going over some things we get towards in here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce back to that spring game a little something about that. But, <laughs> I mean, you think about it now. Started four different quarterbacks. Look at the names. Seb Nolan. That was a grad assistant. Luke Doty, who is a sophomore, played receiver for half of his <laughs> freshman year. Then he came back and played quarterback at the end of the year and caught pure hell. Broke his damn foot right before the season started. What, two weeks? It was like two or three weeks before season, yeah. Broke his foot. Jason Brown, a Division three quarterback that transferred over. And then DeCurion Joyner, who was originally recruited as a quarterback, came to South Carolina. Then after his freshman year, they said, okay, we're going to turn you into a receiver. Then he had to bounce back and play some quarterback because <laughs> Holinsky got hurt. Then he went back to being a receiver all this year. Mm-hmm. And then in the last game of the season, boom, gets his first ever career start against North Carolina. And to give him credit, he put on a hell of a show. He took advantage of the opportunity. He really did, man. It makes you wonder, why didn't he get the start or why didn't he get a chance beforehand? Yeah, it makes you wonder, but I mean, you look back at it and it's just kind of shoulda, coulda, woulda. I mean, right. I would have loved to see him out earlier, but at the same time, I'm not a Division One college football coach, so I'm not going to question. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I, can't, I can't knock these guys. I would have loved to see them sooner. Looking flip side, and once again, we'll touch on that at the end of this when we mentioned the spring game with how things went, but. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Four yeah. quarterbacks started for this team. And not only did they have – not only did they win some games, but they won seven games. Seven games. And won a ball game. And including the ball game, yeah. yes, sir. Over North Carolina with Sam Howell. I mean, Mac Brown, those guys, what the hell? I mean, right. it, it blows my mind. That in itself. Then you look at the backfield, okay? They started four different running backs this year. They sure did. At the start of each game. I mean, you had Kevin Harris coming back who had a monstrous 2020 season. I mean, one of the best one of the best seasons by a running back I've seen in a long time oh, yeah. anywhere. Oh, yeah, man. He, he carried the team in 2020 and had to get back surgery because of it. Pretty much. He <laughs> did try to get back surgery. I guess it was from carrying that offense in 2020. But uh, 
Kevin Harris came back and he dealt with a back injury in the summer, got surgery, and it definitely affected him for most of his season. Mm-hmm. But also Zaquandre White, who, to his credit, what a breakout year this year was for him. That blew my mind. Yeah, I'm telling you, Z White, man, he was a hell of a running back this year. I mean, there was a lot of questions behind him with the season that he had in 2020. He had a real bad fumbleitis, which was addressed in the uh, uh, preseason for the summer last year. I mean, what a year the kid had, man. Oh, he was the definition of heart. I mean, that man played every single play on the field with his heart on his sleeve. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the old days of uh, Terrell Owens. Don't get me wrong, it's two different positions where Owens played receiver. But if anybody, some of my older viewers my age or older, this watched Terrell Owens play, you ever notice how he looked? He just looked angry the yeah. whole time. Just, I mean, a very angry football player. He had a chip on his shoulder the whole time. Yes, sir. And that was Zaquandre White to a T. Yes, sir. In 2021. I mean, this this guy would get hit. And he'd take a hit and you say, oh, man, is he hurt? And not only does he jump up, but he's jumping up and screaming at the Carolina sideline, give me the ball. <laughs> yes, sir. I said, man, either he hit his head really hard just now or this dude is for real. <laughs> and he was definitely for real. Yeah, when, but, when he had the ball, man, he played outside of his mind. No doubt. And then also you had Marshawn Lloyd. Started game or two this year, who was originally the five-star running back Carolina got for 2020. We all know how he blew his knee out in the spring. I want to say it was the spring practice of 2020. Missed the whole year. Hated it for him. Yep. Came back in 2021. And, I mean, you kind of wonder if the knee was still bugging him a little bit. But he, he showed moments, flashes of brilliance this year where he really showed a lot of potential. Absolutely, man. He had a lot of flashes. Had a few big runs that he broke off, man. But it just seemed like either he was afraid to, you know, in some instances to try to to juke or, you know, move that knee in the wrong way. But, uh, you know, definitely had some good flashes. Oh, yeah. And I, I can tell you from experience, man, you blow out your knee. Once you have one knee injury, you get nervous. And I don't know if that's the first one he's ever had, if he had mine, ever had one in high school. I'm not sure. Me, personally, I've had a couple, and I can tell you, after the first one, you get a little nervous. After the second one, you get very nervous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. It makes you question the way you get out of bed in the morning. Absolutely, man. But it makes you question that knee crack. Yes, sir. No doubt about it. <laughs> Sounded like Rice Krispies coming down the hallway with a little snap, crackle, pop. But uh, he definitely showed moments of brilliance. And then last but not least, they had another running back emerge this year named Juju McDowell. True freshman. Tiny little fella. But quick. Oh, man, he is quick and physical as hell for his size. Absolutely, man. He could do and could play any position on the field that he wanted to, really. Oh, there ain't no doubt about it with that guy, man. Talk about a ton of talent and a little body. But, I mean, that was little man syndrome all over right there. That's another angry player when he ran the ball. Oh, absolutely, man. He was not only a great running back, but he was also a good kick returner as well, man. I mean, look at some of the returns he had. Yes, sir. I mean, just a human highlight reel, really. 
But as we talk about these four running backs, okay, Kevin Harris coming out of high school, three-star recruit. Hell, he might have been a two-star. I think he was three, but he might have been a two. I think he was a three-star, if I'm not mistaken. Zaquander White went to Florida State, then had to fall back to junior college because Florida State was not working out well. Went to a junior college for a year. Mm -hmm. Then transferred to South Carolina. So, I mean, Juco. And then Juju McDowell was a three-star as well, I'm pretty sure. Yes, sir. No big names there besides Marshawn Lloyd, who was the five-star. But even then, me and Drew Prone, all these guys, not real big names. You look at the quarterback room last year. Luke Doty was a four-star. All right. Jason Brown, Division Three. Zeb Nolan was originally a two-star quarterback when he was recruited back in the day. Mm-hmm. D.K. Joyner was a four-star athlete. Mm-hmm. But most schools wouldn't even give him a shot at quarterback. No, they want him to play wide receiver also. <clears throat> I mean, you see where I'm going with this. We're going to roll over to the tight end room. Nick Muse, one of the better tight ends in college football this past year, really the last couple of years. Originally where he came from, William & Mary. Yep. Another small school, not a big-name recruit, nothing like that. I mean, Jaheim Bell, three-star. Yep. EJ Jenkins was a two star. Yep. St. Francis. I mean, Carolina was winning games with guys. I can do this all day. You look at the receiver room Josh Van, Xavier Leggett, Jalen Brooks, Marion Brown, Carry On Joyner. I mean, <laughs> a Marion Brown, I think he was a four star originally when he was recruited, maybe, when he went yeah. to Georgia Tech. Yep. And he transferred in from Georgia Tech last year. That's right. It took him a good while to get rolling with Carolina. I mean, he came in late, had to learn a new playbook, a lot of things. But Xavier Leggett, got to struggle with injuries his whole career, it seems like. Absolutely, man. Hate it for him. Josh Van, that was a – I think he was a three-star. I think – I no, think no, he was no. actually a four-star. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was a four-star. But for the last three years, everybody's been sitting around saying – What's going on with Van? Everybody was kind of thinking he was a bust. Yeah, absolutely, man. But His potential tap down. Absolutely, man. And the, the thing that happened with Van, and he'll even openly admit it, is he just got in his own head. He was <clears throat> sitting behind fellas like Debo and everybody, man. And he just. Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards just. He, he never really got his fair shot. And every time he did take the field, he was trying to make a home run. With every catch, you know, catch that he made, or you know, every pass attempt that came his way, and just got in his own head. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, all the all the playmaking positions on offense, uh, key skill positions, I guess you call it. All of it, though. I mean, on this 2021 staff, none of them was really big name stars. No, none of them were. And yet they came together, and I mean, they went toe-to-toe with some really, really good programs with really good players and never backed down and won. I mean, case in point, look at that Kentucky game, man, going down to the wire. Oh, absolutely, and Kentucky was a damn – that was a damn squad this year. Yeah. And they were no joke, and Carolina was in that game all the way to the end. Now, there was a lot of mistakes on both teams. I was screaming at the TV at the end of that game because it's just sitting there like Carolina saying, well, you take it. And Kentucky says, no, you take it. And Carolina, no, I insist. You take it. And I mean, 
Oh, man, I was screaming at TV now, but still, to come down to the wire. Oh, I still get mad about it, honestly. Absolutely, man. That's that's a game that South Carolina should have won, but... Man, I mean, you know, even in the Tennessee game, Tennessee came out quick, fast, in in a hurry. They took the lead, took a pretty monstrous lead, but South Carolina kept fighting back. Yeah, it just... It's just a team that never gave up. The one game this year where I think they really – I think the worst game they had the whole season was Texas A&M, yeah. which it seems like Texas A&M is Carolina's worst game every year <laughs> since they've joined the SEC. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, A&M's the – Damn you, Jimbo. Yeah. Yeah, Jimbo's got Carolina's number, but I don't know, man. Things could change. But – I certainly could. Oh, go ahead. What are you saying? No, 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 no. Go ahead. Oh, you goofy. <laughs> gun, you done lost your train of thought. I'll tell you what. But um, it just it really surprised me how a lot of guys who were no names, not no offense, were no names coming to share. And, I mean, they found a way to win together. Mm-hmm. I mean, and behind all this, then you look at the offensive line this year for South Carolina, which – I think it's fair to say it was not one of their strong points. Absolutely not, man. Absolutely not. But I don't want to say that it was due to lack of skill, and I don't want to blame the coaching, but when you're trained to be a certain team or a mobile quarterback, it's it's kind of hard to adjust when you've got somebody back there that – that can't really get out in the pocket. I think a lot of this year was a lot of inexperience. You had several offensive linemen throughout the year. It seemed like every week there was someone new in the starting lineup where someone was injured, someone was having to move around. So you're steady having to adjust and learn on the fly, I guess. But yeah. there was just a lot of miscommunications I've seen this year. But also at the same time, when you have four different starting quarterbacks, I mean, it's kind of hard to get in a rhythm. It really is. So, I mean, it's just – it was a little bit of the perfect storm. It really was. You can't blame coaching and you can't blame the line, though, because then there's also games where they showed up. North Carolina. Florida. Florida. Florida Auburn. <laughs> hell, ECU. Yeah. I mean, both. And before anybody says anything about ECU, I don't care what you say. That is a program that will beat anybody any given day. Yes, sir. If you sleep on them. Absolutely, man. I absolutely hate playing ECU. <laughs> I hate playing them. Yes, that, sir. That program, I mean, they're just known for it. All year in, year out, they're known for upsetting somebody. So they should not be. Absolutely, man. I mean, they play bigger than what they really are all the time, every <clears> single <throat> game. They do. Damn those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's the thing, though, also, man, you have to remember, like you said, four different quarterbacks throughout the season. And as the center, the center is the one that is, you know, that calls the audibles on the line, you know, the blocking schemes and whatnot. But also remember that the quarterback can override those blocking schemes. So part of me wonders if it wasn't. You know, some of the calls wasn't overridden by the quarterback, and maybe because he wasn't as experienced in the lineup that maybe he called the wrong blocking scheme. 
Or you never know when a quarterback might change the play at the line. Offensive line might not catch on to what he's saying. Yep. Miss a block. Because it was like that happened a few times where people would just come through on the D line completely untouched, where like everybody was doing a reach block. Yep. Half the line reached and half the line went the other way. Yep. And that does not work out too well. <laughs> Bullfighting no late. Yeah, pretty much. But then there was games where they were really clicking and. Man, it looked good. Yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, I still can't get over that Florida game on how good that team looked all the way around. Oh, they looked outstanding in that Florida game. They looked pretty good in Auburn game, but the best version of this team was the Duke's Mayo, Mayo team, yeah. in my personal opinion. Absolutely, I agree, one hundred and ten percent, man. Everything was clicking. Everything was on point. Man, it was a good game to watch. Yes, sir, it was. But uh, let's talk about his defense a little bit. Let's do it, man. You talk about the D-line. We're talking about all these guys on offense. You roll over to the defense. Now, on that defensive line, that was one of the few areas on this team where they did have some notable players playing. Absolutely. And it definitely showed this year, too. <laughs> but I'm telling you, man. This was one of... Probably one of, I'd say, the best defensive lines in all of college football's past year. I rate them easily as a top 15 oh, defensive line. Absolutely, man. I mean, the edges you had. Uh, you had Kingsley and Abari, and you had Jordan Birch, mm-hmm. and you had Jordan Strong, mm-hmm. and you can't forget Aaron Sterling. Aaron Sterling, man, he, he was a beast out there, too. Interior guys, you had Ingabare. Or not in the bar, excuse me. You had uh, Zach Pickens and Jabari Ellis. Jabari Ellis is the one I was thinking of. And, I mean, both of those guys were big-time playmakers. I mean, this defensive line got after it all year long. And, I mean, what blew my mind is the way there's pretty good-sized guys. They're undersized, really, in the SEC. But, yeah, still big-frame guys. And, I mean, both they played sideline to sideline. Oh, they sure did, man. They had a motor that just wouldn't stop. Case in point was when uh, Jabari Ellis picked up that uh, fumble and ran it into the end zone, man. I mean, I love seeing a fat guy run, man. He was just getting it down the field. What about Jordan Birch pick six? Oh, man? my goodness. Hell, he pulled the, the running back, was on his tail, and he pulled him by 10 yards. <laughs> I'm telling you. Jordan Strong had an interception this year. Almost took it back to the house. That was in well, that was in the bowl game, I believe, against North Carolina. It might have been. I'm almost certain it was. That was another good pick. I mean, that D line was just incredible this year. Yeah, they they were getting it, man. Everybody talked about Kingsley and Abari, JJ Kingsley and Abari coming into the season, saying he was going to be really good because the rest of the defensive line keep up. And, man, I almost feel like they kind of won up him this year a little bit. He played, don't wrong, Ingabari played outstanding. but Yeah, especially Sterling and uh, Sterling and Jabari Ellis. Jabari. Zach Pickens, man. Yeah, Zach. I'm excited he's back this year. Oh, absolutely. Jordan Birch, I mean, he played really well. Jordan Straw. Both. That's a great unit. That was a yes, great sir. unit. It's going to be a great unit this year, too. A lot of guys coming back. Yes, sir. But D-line did really good. Now, Damani Staley in the linebacking court, that was about your best linebacker you had this past year. I mean, um, we had one go down in the Georgia game. Oh, I was just – I want to say it was Singletary. 
No, 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 no. I cannot think his name off the top of my head, y'all. But um, Mace Mack. Cause I was just I was just reading about him earlier. Yeah, in spring same. Practice. Same. But that was one of our best linebackers. Went down in Georgia game very early in the season. And that's who Damani Staley came in and filled in for him. Mm-hmm. He did a pretty good job throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Played, He played pretty outstanding, I'd say. But the linebacking core was just a lot of youth, a lot yeah. of young guys back there. Now, he did have Brad Johnson. He played pretty well. Yeah. It was but, Brad Johnson and Damani <laughs> Staley for most of the season after uh, he went down after the Georgia game. But just a lot of youth yeah. in the linebacker core. And with youth – Comes mistakes. Yeah. And you can tell there was a lot of mistakes this year to cost Carolina a lot of yards on the ground game. But Yeah, man. I mean, for per game, especially, you know, with rushes, they, you know, they averaged uh, defense gave up 174.8 game, which ranked 93rd in the nation. Yeah. But, um, you know, with this defense, man, it's, the thing that really impressed me the most is that secondary, though. Oh, the secondary, man. I mean, this was top five. Top five of the best secondaries in college football this year. They had a few. Once again, another very young unit overall. But to be as young as they were, they played absolutely incredible. They gave a few blown coverages here and there, made some rookie mistakes. you seen it against Georgia. you seen it against Texas A&M. But for the most part, man, this was a team that you did not throw the ball on. No, absolutely not, man. I mean, I mean, you look at some of these guys they had better. Jalen Foster, All-American this past year. Absolutely. Man. Cam Smith, who was one of the best cover corners in the SEC this past year. And then you got R.J. Roderick back there. Yeah. And he is – Talking about a thumper, he's like the second coming of DJ Swear. <laughs> That's big shoes to fill. I don't want to put that on, and I don't want to blow the man's head up. But, but that, that kid can hit. Oh, every time he put a hit on somebody, he had a flag through on him for uh, targeting. They'd go back and watch the thing, and it wasn't. It'd be a clean tackle yeah. every time. Yeah, it just it just took him out of the world. <laughs> yes, sir. But what? How about the job Clayton White did with this defense this past year, though? He, he took a team that the previous staff really couldn't stop anything with and just turned them around in a six, seven-month period, man. Absolutely. I mean, this defense played hungry all year. I mean, and a lot of their stats are kind of misleading, honestly, because they were better than the stat show. Yeah. Part of the reason stats are bad, it's like we said before, this South Carolina offense really struggled to find its identity throughout the year. And when you got a struggling offense, it can really hurt your defense. And the fact that this defense hung in to so many games yeah, and just stopped them. Teams, play after play after play, I mean, sensational. Absolutely, man, especially going into the fourth quarter, last two minutes of the game. I mean, <laughs> if you needed a stop, they were going to make it. You could count on You really could. I mean, I don't know how many nights I spent and afternoons on Saturday. Center. Oh, man, 
Come on, defense, please get us a stop. If we get the ball back, I don't know what the hell we're going to do with it, but please get us the ball back. And it would happen. I mean, you could almost bet. You could almost gamble on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at that ECU game, man. I mean, ECU, what was it, a tie ball game where they were up like two going into the final few minutes? Yeah. And uh, we get the ball back. Defense, uh, you know, gets the ball back for us. And Parker White splits the uprights. Yes, sir. Look at Carolina wins the game. Look at the Vandy game. Yeah. Which Vandy game, I also give a lot of credit to Zeb Nolan. The way he came in off the bench on that game, marched right down the field. That was impressive. I mean, talk about, oh, no pressure, man. I mean, the game's on the line. Here you go. Have at it. <laughs> no pressure at all. Yeah, I know you're coming in cold, man, but. Uh, Calling in the cavalry with old Colonel <laughs> Zebuli. <laughs> Charge! Pretty much. <laughs> But, man, his arm, that game, Bo, I mean, cold and all. He was just on target and zipping it. Oh, for sure, man. Zeb really impressed me the way that guy. That's another player just – you keep hearing me say it. I say another player. But, realistically, this whole team this year showed so much heart. Oh, it should Every be. week, you know what I mean? That, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm a Carolina fan. I mean, I'm – I love ACC and SEC football, period. Mm-hmm. I love all these schools. I love watching all of them. Yeah. Carolina's my favorite, yes. But this school, this team, to me, played with more heart than just about any school I saw this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I mean, when you look at the depth they had and the talent they had, and that's no knock, that's no insult to any of these guys, but you look at the situation they came out of, and in one year go from two and eight to seven and six with a bowl victory. Oh yeah, unheard of. Yeah, and that's that's not just luck. I mean, luck plays a little bit in it, but you know, at the same time, man, this this coaching staff had what it took to turn everything around and make it to where all the players leaned on each other. They really did. I mean, they talk about a team that literally just goes to war for each other and goes to battle and just fights yeah. their asses off. Yeah. I mean, no – I mean, if you want to see the proof, the proof – just look at the sidelines after each score, man. You've got Beamer coming up, you know, jumping into the players' arms, just congratulating and giving them hugs. And, you know, I even saw them, you know um, – Nearly get a penalty. <laughs> Nearly get a penalty. He also about knocked one of the guys out. I forget who it was. I think it might have even been Josh Mann. I can't remember. I cannot remember to be honest with you. I know exactly <laughs> what play you're talking about. <laughs> I think it was actually the one where Josh Mann's still open in the Florida game. It might have been. <laughs> they just – and to me, this is football at its finest because – I'm a firm believer in I don't care how big the other team is, how talented the other team is. I feel like if you take any given group of guys and you can get them 100% bought into the program and 100% playing for each other, you have a chance. Absolutely, man. It just goes to the other thing. It's not about the size of the dog in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. And the fight in this dog, well, we're going to say in this rooster, it was big. Yes, sir. I mean, 
Never gave up. Never, ever gave up. And what blows my mind is how much better it could have been. Yeah. I mean, let's go ahead and hit some of these season stats real quick. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll start with the defense first. Defense, your average yard per game this year was 341.8 yards per game. That's good enough for 42nd in the nation. Yep. So you're in the top third of the country right there. Yep. Then you look at the rushing yards they give up per game, 174.8, 93rd in the nation. Not very good against the rush, but at the same time, a lot of youth in that linebacker core, a lot of mistakes, and also – when a team gets tired, if your offense is not moving the ball, that other team, that's when they're going to try their hearts just to run the ball down your throat mm-hmm. and just wear you down. And It's kind of like body shots in boxing. Pretty much. It really is, and it just it wears you down. And that happened a lot this year with Carolina. No excuse. It has to get better for sure. they got to find a way to correct that. But I think with the offense improving, this will also help the defense improve. Defensive passing yards a game, 167. Good enough for eighth in the nation. You heard that right, eighth. Number eight. Like I said, one of the best secondaries in all college football. Absolutely. And one of the best defensive lines also helped contribute to that. Yeah. Then defensive points per game. Gave up 24 points per game average. That's good enough for 45th in the nation. Yes, sir. Once again, you're right there on the verge of being in the top third. Of the country. Yeah. Now let's roll into these offensive stats. Buckle your seatbelt up. <laughs> it's about to get bumpy. Offensive yards per game was 321.6. Good enough for 108 in the country. Rushing yards a game, we averaged 136.7. That's number 91 in the nation. Passing yards a game, 184.9. So you might as well say 185. 95th in the nation. Points per game, 22.6, which is good enough for 105 in the nation. <laughs> so your best offensive stats out of all those for the year is 91st. Yep, the rushing game. And to me, this is where it gets fascinating for me. Yeah, absolutely. You listen to all those offensive stats, and it just sounds awful. Sounds horrible. Yep. Now, I want you all to rewind. Now, you can go back to our podcast discussing the South Carolina spring game. Yep. In that spring game, one of the biggest reasons Luke Doty was your flat-out known starter coming into the year was a starter after that spring game. This whole offense, and I believe this whole offensive playbook, was built around having a dual-threat quarterback. If you look at the spring game, they ran the ball to the tailback off of the defense king on the quarterback. Yep. They passed the ball by being able to run the ball enough with a dual-threat quarterback and handing the ball off to where the defense cannot play coverage. You're going to have to bump everybody up, stack the box a little bit just to keep them honest. Right. Opens things up in your passing game. Luke Doty goes down, broke foot, and then where do you go from there? You got Zeb Nolan. Possibly the slowest quarterback in the game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
No disrespect, Carl. Hey, when he ran the ball down, he ran it like old Mike Allscott. Damn if he ran it like a Mack truck. <laughs> I couldn't believe he was running as hard as he could. I mean, he was going to head up with some defensive linemen. I said, Zeb, what are you doing? <laughs> he actually but, reminded me of uh, Nick Muse when I tried to run the ball, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick Muse looked like a Ferrari compared to this man. <laughs> no offense, Zeb, man. We appreciate what you did. We love you, dog. But you ain't no speed racer. <laughs> but pro-style quarterback, pocket passer, that's it. He ain't going to run the ball. Tom Brady's faster than Zeb Nolan. All right. Jason Brown. Once again, <laughs> you're trying to drag race a Mustang on a damn Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> now, we'll give it to uh, Jason, though, man. I mean, that with that spin around that he did to get out the pocket and try to buy him a little bit of time, that – he had a little bit of escape ability, a little bit of a looseness in the pocket. But Jason Brown was not going to take a broke down play and take off and gain you 10 yards on the ground and get you that first down. No, no. I was just about to say he might could buy you an extra second or two, but even then, the mobility was very, very limited. Absolutely. Luke Doty did play in a few games this year, but like I said, he had a broke foot and I believe he looked less mobile than Zeb Nolan did. Hate it for the kid, but... And, and I hate to say it, man, but the truth being the truth, Luke W. should have never been out on that field with that foot. No, and you can't blame the coaches there because as a coach, you can only do... You can only go off of what the player's telling you and what the doctors tell you. Absolutely. If he's got a clean bill of health from the doctor, the doctor says, oh, yeah, he's good to play. And the player says, oh, I can do it. Well, get out there and do it. Yep. And see, in practice, your quarterback's not taking hits. Right. So he can get out there and move around a little bit. You're going to blow a play dead anyways. Right. It's a whole different thing when you get out there in game time. Yeah. And he showed a lot of heart by getting out there and trying to play. But at the same time, I believe after the Vanderbilt game, that was when they pulled the plug on, and I think that's when they said, all right, look, man, it's up to us to save you from yourself at this point. And you could tell a lot in that game. He threw some pretty bad incomplete passes and threw some pretty bad picks. But when you're a quarterback, you got to have both your feet. Yeah, you have to plant and throw, man. You have to step into it, be able to plant. And it- if that foot was healing a little bit and he stepped on it one time and it that fracture came back or that bone moved a little bit, you're done. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if that's what happened, maybe. I believe so. I think that foot was on the mend. and Yeah, it's, it's either got stepped on again or he just took the wrong step on it or, or something happened. But, yeah, he just wasn't himself in that handy game at all. That's exactly right. And with all that being said, it made the offensive playbook this year be very much limited. I know a lot of people were screaming for the head of Marcus Satterfield. I ain't going to lie. There were several times where I was pretty pissed off my damn self. Yeah. Frustrated and everything else. But then when you sit back and you look at the scenario and you look at the facts, you look at the roster, you look at what is actually happening, you can't blame the man. And then – after all this, after this very stale offense, 
we come to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Bum, bum, bum. And you roll into the Duke's Mayo Bowl, and you finally give DeKirion Joyner his first ever chance to start Mm -hmm. at quarterback. And what this does is it – this is the first time the entire season since the regular season started where Marcus Satterfield is actually able to open the playbook up knowing I have a dual threat quarterback. I have a man who can run the ball. He can throw it underneath. I don't think he projected him throwing it quite as well as he did, but (laughs) it made him see right in there, hey, I can actually get a little creative here. And then after all these years of these terrible stats, offensive averaging 321 yards a game all year. Against North Carolina, Duke's Mayo Bowl, this offense put up 543 yards. Mm-hmm. That's 222 yards more. Yep. You're averaging 184 or 185 passing yards a game. This game here, it allows you to throw for 242. You're averaging 136 rushing yards a game. This game, you're able to put up over 300 without your best rusher in the backfield. Averaging 8.2 yards per play. Yeah. It was crazy. Your offense averaged 22 points a game all year. You hang 38 in this one. Yeah. And without a doubt, this was one of the best blocking games as far as an offensive line goes that I've saw all season. Oh, no doubt at all. But see, that's the thing. When you have a quarterback where you can play action and you can roll outside the pocket, you know how much less stressful that is on an offensive lineman saying, okay, I can move around a little bit. I can take a step back or two if I need to because my quarterback is able to move. Right. If you got a statue – all right. Perfect example. <laughs> You're a Steelers fan. Yep. Ben Roethlisberger, one of the most sacked quarterbacks in NFL history. Especially for the last three or four seasons. Yeah. What happened? He got old and he couldn't be as mobile as what he used to be. As mobile, hell. The Statue of Liberty was more mobile than Ben Roethlisberger was. (laughs) Just got beat up, nowhere yeah. to go. Yep. And in return, it it hurt the whole offense. It really does. Yeah, it does. If you can get a quarterback that can roll outside the pocket, I mean, Jason Brown was not moved whatsoever, but he was at least able to roll out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just by doing that, you've seen a big difference in Carolina's passing game in that Florida game. Yeah, Florida and, and Auburn. And Auburn. Mm-hmm. He was able to see a big difference. So, with that being said, it kind of, it made it all come full circle to me. It all came back to the spring game. Because you look at, you watch the 2021 spring game, look at that Duke's Mayo Bowl. Yep. Play for play for play. I mean, it looks identical. It really does. It really does, man. I mean... Yes, in the spring games, they don't really show you as many plays as what normally was. But, man, you just look 
look at the run plays. I mean, you had to have the defensive line edge guys. They had to watch to see what Dak was going to do, whether he was going to hand it off or whether he was going to keep it himself because he broke off some some amazing runs on his own just by keeping it. Oh, absolutely. Hell, a lot of those was plays where it was a design pass play. The pocket broke down. He rolled out, picked up 10, 15 yards. Mm-hmm. He had 64 yards rushing in that game. But if you look at the Carolina spring game last year, don't look at the offense. Look at the defense. Mm-hmm. Look at the way they're reacting on those rushing plays. A big reason in that spring game that Zaquandre White had the success he had was the edge guys, the linebackers. Instead of being able to bite on that run play and just crack down and stop right then and there, they're having to wait an extra second, two seconds, seeing what that quarterback's doing, making sure that he did not keep that ball. You're having to watch and make sure that he's not got the ball getting away from you. You're having to – it keeps your defense honest. Mm -hmm. You cannot jump the gun because if you jump the gun, big play. It's over. And you give a running back like Kevin Harris extra two seconds to get a little bit of momentum going. (laughs) You couldn't stop that man with momentum. No. It opens up a lot of lanes. Instead of that defensive end being able to crack down constantly – He's having to sit there and contain the outside edge. He's having to be on the outside shoulder. If that guard's blocked back inside, your edge rusher's having to sit on the outside to contain. It makes it real easy for that tackle to work his butt around. All of a sudden, you got a block secured. You're going straight through C-gap. Absolutely. I mean, you can run right there in the five hole all day long if yep. you can keep that outside edge on his toes. Yep, absolutely. Especially if you got a decent fullback or a tight end. Yeah. Where that tackle can combo off and go get a backer. It makes everything so much smoother. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that dual threat quarterback, we're not worried about you keeping it. No. Hell, if you keep it, I can run you down in a couple seconds. You ain't going to game of three yards. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, with a, it's all about who the defense – who who they have the key on. If you've got a key on that quarterback because you're afraid – it's over. A dual threat quarterback is very hard to defend. And also, when you got a dual threat quarterback, that secondary, they can't just sit back there and play deep coverage and lock up your receivers all day long. Because if they're back there, the quarterback scrambles. If he gets past the linebackers, next thing you know, he's got 20 yards before he sees the next man. Yeah. You look at that first play. That first pass by Joyner <laughs> in that bowl game to Bell. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. I mean, they keyed on Joyner running, and he threw it off of his back foot. <laughs> Didn't even really plant. And, I mean, right over the top, into the bread basket. And, I mean, hell, Jaheim Bell, he's probably still running. <laughs> he ought to be coming by here any time now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Damn. Wide open. And it worked over and over and over again in that game. Yeah, absolutely. All Joyner had to do was get outside that pocket. All of a sudden, the defensive backs, everybody starts stepping up. They all start keying on that run. Mm-hmm. They start pulling off the receivers. Mm-hmm. And then you bring in uh, Colonel Zeb into the game. They know he's not mobile, but you're running the ball pretty consistent, so they've got to bump up because they're worried about the run. And then Zeb throws it over the top for a touchdown to Josh Van. <laughs> exactly, man. So it just 
it opens up a ton. It really does. And when you look at how that bowl game went, am I saying that they could have beat Georgia? No. No. Am I saying they'd have beat Texas A&M? No. But at the same time, if Carolina's offense could have had that factor all year long, man. Yeah. The possibilities. The Yeah, possibilities are endless, man. I mean, the Missouri game, who's to say they couldn't have won that one? Kentucky they, game. The Kentucky game, who's to say they couldn't have won that one? Tennessee game. Exactly. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Things could have been very different in a lot of ways. Yeah. This was a very scary team this past year. The pieces just didn't quite fall the way they needed to in the puzzle. Absolutely. So, but that's all I got, man. Yeah, man. I mean, this this 2021 team, you know, it's, it's in the books now. Seven and six, very respectable, especially when in the bowl game like they did. This is the most games ever won by a first-year coach in South Carolina, too, by the yeah. way. Absolutely. And for Beamer to turn it around as he did, it puts a whole new spotlight on this program with the recruiting, hell, with the transfer portal. I mean, there's exciting, more exciting things to come. And I think this season, you're going to see a big, big change. I think you're going to see even more improvement this year. It's like you said, it's just – the possibilities are endless. When you get a coach like this and a program, this is incredible the way they've built this culture. And when you get a team bought in like this, the possibilities really are endless. Yeah. Without a doubt, man. I mean, look at Wake Forest, how that program's turned around in recent years with that coach. That's yeah. a, That was a bottom feeder. Oh, yeah. They was hanging out with Duke. <laughs> who? Duke. Duke who? Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem. The Blue Devils. The Blue Devils? Yeah, the Blue Devils. Ah, the Blue Devils. <laughs> <laughs> but that team got bought in. ACC contender year in, year out now. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, Kentucky. And look at what Wake Forest can do, too, man. They're not, they're like South Carolina, man. They're not getting, I mean, they're not really getting the, the big recruits in the four and five stars. They're making. The two stars, the three stars, into the five star recruits with the way they're able to build them. Exactly. It's all about your culture, your coaches. You get a player bought in, and it really is, there is no boundaries to what he can do. Absolutely, man. When you can get the full team bought in, well, tell you. You get a full team, and you get these players to start really hitting their peak potential, that's a scary thought. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. A team that is bought in and believes can move mountains. Absolutely. So, you got anything else, man? I don't have anything else, man. Just, as always, just hit us up on Twitter. That's hit, right. hit us up on Twitter, or we got an Instagram, at First and Goal. I mean... Yeah, Facebook. Give us your feedback. We always appreciate it. Always love to hear from you. Yeah, share it with your friends. We always love getting new listeners. And um, absolutely, man. And you know, messages. You know, where are you listening to us from? We'd love to know. We'd like to talk some football with you. 
Give us your thoughts on South Carolina or hell, even your own team. We'd, we'd love to talk with you. You know, as always, we love you. All right. We love you all. And we appreciate it. And until next time, keep those drinks cold and keep those chains moving. Yes, sir. We'll see you all next time. Peace out.